0: Message two Gray Matters. I approach this subject with uh, a continued uh, sense of some fear and trepidation because uh, some people will think I've backslidden. Some people will think church needs a pastor who's just going to get up here and tell it the way it is, Um, but I want you to approach this message with hearts that are open to God's Word and just see how things line up with the Word. That's all I'm asking of you tonight. I got bit by a wasp 12 days ago. Didn't think much of the wasp bite until the next day when my arm was swollen from here to here. Then I said, well maybe this is something you do go to the doctor about. And I went to the doctor and uh, He gave me 40 pills the size of a poodle and told me to take four of them a day. Well, they took the swelling down, which I was grateful for. We had a church board meeting on Thursday evening. I want to thank uh, you for uh, surrounding me over and over and over and over again with with great servant leaders at the board level. At a good board meeting, uh, they went home, I went to bed, and I had the worst night's sleep I've ever had in my life. I had uh, terrible indigestion. And I don't usually have indigestion. My wife describes my stomach as Un- unrealistically solid it just it's, it just doesn't bother me but had a terrible night in the middle of the night I got up to have a bath to see if that would help and I looked and my skin was covered with hives so in the morning my plan was to go to work but my wife said you're going to the doctor so I went to the doctor um, and they looked me over and, uh, and said, you have reacted to the drugs you were given to take the infection down. Uh, you don't want to hear that. What you want to do is respond to the drugs you're given. You don't want to be reacting to them. Um, I'm feeling somewhat better tonight, but I am on a lot of pills right now. So if I fall asleep, come throw some water on me and I'll try to get rejuvenated and get going. My point in telling that story is not to get you feeling bad for me, but to challenge you to make sure that you are responding to this book tonight and you're not reacting to the message. Reacting won't do you any good. You need to respond to what the Holy Spirit wants to say to us tonight. Respond to what the Holy Spirit wants to say to us through the scriptures as we look at gray matters. So last week we talked about the two extremes uh, in Christian convictions. And one extreme in Christian convictions is legalism. A lot of people have developed a faith that is very much based on a big set of rules. Don't do this, don't do that, make sure you never go to, and if you just get all those rules down, then Jesus smiles down with favor on you because you're keeping the rules. Very legalistic view of their faith. And on the other extreme is licentiousness, where people feel they have license to, to just live however they feel like it, do whatever they want to do it, because Jesus is a nice guy. And Jesus will forgive you. So just go have lots of fun because Jesus is a God of great grace and you can, you can get away with almost anything as long as you go back to Jesus and tell him, ah, I kind of made a mistake there. Because I'm a Christian, I've got license to do with anything I want to do because his blood continually cleanses us from all sin. Kevin, well, let me, let me say this. Leave that slide up. Living on either one of those ends is not where you want to be as a Christian. You don't want to be in the black or in the white zone. Kevin uh, Van Hooser said this. And uh, the quote is up on the screen. We must therefore do all that we can to resist two opposing temptations. And he's talking about the temptations at the end of the screen. Each equally dangerous in as much as each compromises the integrity of the church's mission. The mission of the church to help people find and follow Jesus, to help people uh, come to a saving knowledge of, of our great, wonderful Lord, Is seriously compromised when we are a bunch of legalistic Christians or a bunch of licentious Christians. We can't fulfill God's call on us as a church if we're living in either of those places. The problem then is we land in the middle and the middle is messy, the middle is gray, Uh, The middle, uh, next slide, um, just is not where we're meant, Is just not a healthy place for us uh, in many of our thinking, but it's the biblical place. Galatians 5 verse 1, we're memorizing it this month in New Living Translation, but I'm a bit of a rebel, so I'm going to read it out of the English Standard Version, which is what I have in my hand. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Jesus hasn't set you, brought you into Christ, into a relationship with Christ for you to be living a legalistic lifestyle. The problem though is we're not good at Christians, Christians about having to deal with the fact that maybe every once in a while we have to, have to actually pray and figure out what God wants us to do. We don't want that responsibility. We want a spiritual leader who will just tell us what to do. Is this a yes or an no, Pastor? Come on, just make it simple for me. Is this a yes or an no? But the Christian life is not that simple. And the more you travel the world, and, and Acts 15 is a bit of a bunny trail here, but it's an example of what happens when the world collides with the gospel and the kind of decisions you have to make. But when you travel around the world, uh, you discover that parts of the world see things very differently. I uh, grew up in an environment where the worst, one of the worst things you could ever do as a guy is wear a hat to church. Terrible to wear a hat to church. And then I, have the privilege to go to Israel uh, 1985, I think it was. First time we went. And the only and these are God's chosen people, the only people of God in God's chosen nation who don't wear hats all the time when they're approaching God's presence are the backslidden liberal Jews. The ones who take God seriously wear hats wouldn't think of going into God's presence without a hat. And the bigger the hat, the more spiritual they are. And I'm raised that God's offended by hats. Those arguments don't help us with the gospel, friends. Told this story here before, but... Uh, our sons were really good at inviting friends to church, and we had a van, and we'd fill the van up with with guys. Uh, I was we were attending a church at, for a period there, invited to be the pastor, but fairly quickly after starting to attend it, and uh, but the guy before me, the Sunday, we had a roll full of kids got up to preach. And this was the first thing he said before he preached. And young man in that row, take your hats off right now. You're an offense to what God is trying to do in this service. Boys never came back to church. Our sons did. They had parents who made them. Some of these rules we make friends, are not helpful in the mission of the church. And you can't find a verse that makes a statement on it. It does make a couple of statements about women wearing hats to church. Uh, 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 Apparently, we have made some cultural applications there that we're all comfortable with. We get into these zones, next slide, where there's all kinds of things that we disagree on about what we're supposed to be doing. I got in trouble in the first church I pastored in because once I quoted a verse of Scripture that was not from the King James Version. And pastor, don't you know that God wrote the King James Version? It's the anointed version. Why are you compromising with all this modern stuff? The church can't be backsliding like that. And they said it with deep conviction. believed it with all of their hearts. So the problem is there's a lot of stuff in the middle that gets really messy. And I'm going to dim that slide pretty quick so you don't have to look at it and stare at it so hard, but today I want to just talk about some clear biblical instruction about how to live in the middle clear Biblical instruction about how to live in the middle. Because that's the world we live in. The world we live in requires us to make decisions about how we're going to respond to situations over and over again. And interestingly enough, the Bible actually has given a name to living in the middle. On the extreme left, we have licentiousness in the middle. We have legalism. But the Bible's given a name to this middle zone. James chapter two and verse number 12. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. Friends, we do not live in licentiousness and we do not live in legalism. We live as Christians in a thing defined as the law of liberty, the law of liberty. Evan and Pastor Jordan, just come on up here and help me for a second or 10. Come on right up on the platform here. Now, this is not a new illustration to most of you, uh, but Ev, go right about there and start walking. No, he's not going to let go. Now, now on on that end, we've got, because this is exactly what we got here, licentious Pastor Jordan. (laughs) And we've got, we've got legalistic Evan over here. I am sorry. I did not mean to let go of that. (laughs) Uh, I I, I told you what he's like. Okay. Okay. Yeah. He's the rule follower. I knew that. I've raised him. Now, is there a statement? And and I've taught you this over and over again. The truth is in the... Truth is in the tension, friends. We don't want to deal with tension. We've got enough tension other places. We want the church to just tell us yes or no. Come on, keep it simple. But the truth is in the tension. And if there's a statement in Bible that seems to me to have more tension in it, I don't know where it is. Law of liberty. Doesn't that seem like tension to you? Law, take the rules. Liberty, freedom, 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 freedom. But how do we live out our Christian faith? We are living under the law of liberty. Go a bit further apart and you behave this time, you licentious guy. Okay. We've got to figure out how to live in that. Be good. We've got to figure out how to live in the tension of the gray area. We've got to figure out how to navigate. Be good now in the law of liberty. Come closer before you let go. Thank you, I can handle it now. Any pain you inflict, give the guys a hand. So I want to talk tonight about what I consider to be the major principles of the law of liberty. The major principles of the law of liberty, the things we have to get down pat in our lives to be able to live well in that gray zone. To live out the law of liberty. To live out the law of liberty. And the first one is pursue peace and unity. Pursue peace and unity. Ephesians chapter four, verses one to three. Ephesians chapter four, verses one to three. I therefore, prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you are called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. Very clear instruction here, friends. How and when are we walking worthy in the kingdom of God? How and when are we walking in a manner that is worthy to the calling, the high calling God has put in our lives to be followers of Jesus Christ? How how do we know we're walking worthy? Well, it's simple, Pastor. You just make sure nobody's playing any dice games. Just keep dice out of your house and you're walking worthy. Or I, I think God has put me in the church to make sure that nobody's coming into the church with bright lipstick. I felt such a call of God on my life over the last two years, pastor, to make sure everybody in the church is getting vaccinated. I wish the greeters would check to make sure everybody's bringing the King James version to the church and if I just get those things down pat then then God is so pleased with me and I I finally walking worthy of the Lord Jesus Christ because I'm making sure everybody's keeping the rules And yet the apostles say, no, 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 that's not how you measure it, friends. You're walking worthy of the Lord when you're driven by this passion to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace among the brothers and sisters in the family of God. And sometimes we make little things, big things, and they destroy unity in the church. They destroy unity in the body of Christ. To live properly in the kingdom of God, you need to understand, I think, two things wrapped up in one statement here. And it's this, that you've been given freedom in Christ. You've been given freedom in Christ, so you give others freedom too. You've been given freedom in Christ, so you give others freedom too. Romans chapter 14 uh, verses 17 to 19. The kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking. What do you eat? What do you, how come you eat that? Who said you can drink that stuff? Kingdom of God is not a matter of eating, drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit how do you know how do you know you're in the kingdom the real kingdom the kingdom of god is being lived out properly well you feel you see righteousness and you see peace and you see joy well i don't care about peace and joy i just want righteousness get those dice out of here (laughs) whoever thus serves christ is acceptable to god and approved by man Who are the people who are acceptable to God and approved by man? People who have learned that the kingdom of God is not a bunch of rules, but it's righteousness and peace and joy of the Holy Spirit. So then let us pursue what makes for peace and mutual upbuilding. So what's the first principle you bring into this gray zone? It's this principle of making sure you're pursuing peace and unity. If I say what I really wanna say here, is this gonna, is this gonna keep, keep peace or is it gonna create a bunch of pain for a bunch of people? You pursue. Pursue is this chasing afterward, making a run for it. Are you pursuing, pursuing peace and unity? Second, Major principle, the law of liberty. Don't cause others to stumble. Don't cause others to stumble. Romans chapter 14 and verse number 20. Do not for the sake of food. Can't eat meat on Friday, it's a fish day. Do not, for the sake of food, destroy the work of God. Everything is indeed clean, but it's, for, it's wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. You don't cause people to stumble on the basis of your convictions. 1 Corinthians 8 in verse number 13. If the food you're insisting on eating makes your brother stumble, Then just make the decision that you'll never eat meat because my brother is more important than my appetite. Hmm. Hmm. Don and I were talking yesterday to a a couple we, we we care for deeply and somehow we got on the subject of parents passing away. Donna and I have lost both sets of our parents in the last four years. Sometimes you don't really appreciate what you have till you don't have it anymore. Sometimes you don't think about the value of what you had until you don't have until you don't have that value speaking into your life anymore. I remember clearly the Sunday Dr. Marsh came to church. The Sunday Dr. Marsh came to church. We knew he was coming. Dr. Marsh had taught Dad and Mom and Baba College. And uh, they took me aside on Saturday afternoon and said, Dr. Marsh is coming to church tomorrow, and then he's coming to our house for dinner. John, please don't go out and skate on the backyard tomorrow, skating rink on our backyard tomorrow. That kept me awake for a while, Saturday night. Hey, I liked skating on the rink my dad built for us every single winter in Calgary. And I'd always been able to skate on Sunday afternoon. But now, Dr. Marsh was coming and I couldn't skate on Sunday afternoon on the rink my dad had built for me to skate on, and to me it was, just so, so, so confusing. My parents told me why. They said that uh, if you skate on the skating rink, you'll really offend Dr. Marsh because he believes Sundays are a day for just going to church and resting. I didn't help my little nine-year-old brain at all. I just thought my parents were being hypocrites. But I'm older now, quite a bit older. And I recognized that what they were being was being godly. They had an understanding of this gray zone. (laughs) And they weren't legalistic people, especially my dad. I think my dad liked breaking rules, like Pastor Jordan. (laughs) Uh, But it didn't make any sense to me, but what my parents were doing is they were living out the principle of not causing your brother to stumble. It was a few months back three or four, I was preaching on having eternal priorities and enjoying giving. And in that message, I, I quoted Stephen King. Stephen King, the author, had been in a terrible accident probably 20 years ago, maybe 30. They didn't expect him to live when he came out of the accident. He wrote what I thought was a really good article on, man, we're all just here for a little while. Don't fall in love with stuff down here. Uh, Give your possessions away. After the sermon, I discovered that there was an element of our church that I had offended as a result of quoting that statement from Stephen King. Their perception, and I respect it, is that there's no place in the church for a man who writes such dark books to be quoted from. I honestly had not in my thinking dug that deep. I just thought it was a good story with a good lesson. But I managed that weekend to cause offense And I regret that, and I apologize for that. I did that, and please hear my heart here, I did that completely unintentionally. I did not get up to try to offend anybody that day. But there is a reality that there's a spectrum within the body of Christ of a lot of different opinions on a lot of different things. And I'll talk about some more principles quickly here that apply to this stuff. But as believers, we have to be very careful To not to get to the place where we think well, it's just what I think and what I believe and that's what matters And we start living without due respect to the opinions and the feelings of others That's not how we live Don't cause others to stumble And part of the concern in my quoting Stephen King was, they felt I was given the impression that everybody should go buy 20 Stephen King's books. And uh, uh, truthfully, I don't recommend that. But truthfully, in saying that I don't recommend that, I only in my life have read one of his books and I found it so boring and never bothered reading it again, any (laughs) of his stuff again. But principle number three. Be fully persuaded of your convictions. Be fully persuaded of your convictions, Romans chapter 14 and verse number five. One person esteems one day better than another while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. Your responsibility in this gray area in whatever positions you take on a lot of issues that people see things differently, your responsibility is to be fully persuaded in your own mind that this is what God wants you to believe and do and think. Fully persuaded. If you're having doubts, You need to get alone with Jesus some more and figure out if you've really figured it out yet. You need to be fully convinced in your own mind about the position you take. Don't do it because Granny taught it to you. Don't do it because Grandpa taught it to you. And please, 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 don't do it because Pastor John taught it to you. Be fully convinced in your own mind. Work it out. Study the scriptures, whether these things are so. Be fully convinced in your own mind. I live in the Western world. I'm a Canadian raised in the Western world. And the truth of the matter is when I pick this precious book up, I'm reading this book through a lens that is highly uh, tinted with a Canadian Western view of things. It's almost impossible to not do that. It's kind of like the goldfish who live in the bowl that you bought them and it sits in your family room. And they swim around this thing and that goldfish is absolutely convinced that's what fish do, they swim around in a little bowl. They have no idea that there are fish who actually swim in a northern lake Or maybe swim in rivers or there are fish that actually swim in oceans the way it is is fish swim in bowls and we pick this book up and read it through a Canadian lens and apply all of our Canadian convictions to it and we're convinced there's absolutely no other way to see any other issues and we're shocked that Maybe some people do things differently than we thought they needed to, or should be done. 1990 something, mid-1990s. One of the most life-changing experiences of my life. I took three days off and I booked uh, time to stay, to attend a vineyard conference in uh, Edmonton, Alberta, being held in the Northlands Coliseum, the old arena Wayne Gretzky's to play in. Stayed at my Aunt Elmer's home, got there expecting God to do something deep in my heart, The deepest thing he did in my heart those three days, Colosseum was packed and John Wimber got up to speak. John Wimber was the leader of the Vineyard Movement. He was wearing cowboy boots. I was raised believing that preachers should wear good shoes. He's wearing cowboy. First time in my life, I saw a preacher preach in blue jeans, and he was wearing a cowboy hat. And before he said a word, he took a big bottle of Coke and went. (coughs) Coke, cowboy boots, blue jeans, and cowboy hat. And the anointing of God fell over Northland's Coliseum, And God began to swish his way through the Colosseum. <laughs> and my approach to life and ministry changed in those two minutes where I recognized, hmm, maybe this has a whole lot less to do than I thought it did with me wearing nice shoes. And usually trying to polish them on Saturday night, too. But I was reading and understanding what God did through a Canadian lens. And not thinking that uh, Jesus didn't wear pants that you uh, bought at the bay. Be fully persuaded, fully persuaded that the position you're taking is something that God is pleased with and not something Grandma Smith taught you. Number four. Keep your convictions between yourself and God. Oh, this is a toughie, friends. Romans 14 verse number four, who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls and he will be upheld for the Lord is able to make him stand. Who are you to pass the judgment on servant of another? Friends really, really, really think about this. Who made you so wise that you're the one who can decide what version everybody, what version of the Bible everybody else should be reading? Who, uh, who made you uh, so wise? And so all knowing that you felt you've been given the position of being the uh, earrings policeman for uh, your local church, making sure that nobody would do such an ungodly thing as wear earrings to church. And you'd even heard that some of them who wore earrings to church wore them to work too. Romans 14, verse 22. Whatever you believe about these things, keep between yourself and God. I want you just right now to take a Selah moment here, and I just want you to read that verse to yourself right now. Don't read it out loud, but read that to yourself. Just read it. what the New International Version says, New Living Translation says. You may believe that there's nothing wrong with what you're doing, but keep it between yourself and God. Friends, I think we're terrible at living this out. I think we're terrible at living this out. If we get a conviction on something, it becomes a political issue for us and we feel our job in the body of Christ is to get everybody else thinking exactly like us. Come back to the book, friends. You may believe there's nothing wrong with what you're doing. And Paul's not saying that's wrong, but there's a but in that sentence. But keep it between yourself and God. Well, I don't like the New Living Translation. Well, let's see what the American Standard has to say. The faith which you have, has have as your own conviction before God. Your responsibility isn't to run around and get everybody converted to the no-card-playing Christian group. Have your convictions before God. I love the amplified version. The faith which you have, Now notice the description here. The faith that that gives you freedom of choice. We live in the law of liberty. The faith that you have that gives you freedom of choice. That gray area is the law of liberty, liberty that gives you freedom of choice. Have as your own conviction before God. Just keep it between yourself and God. Now... and and I hope you're hearing some grace in my tone tonight. I really think we don't believe this, because I've been one of us for quite a few years, and I listen to a lot of unity-destroying discussions where people are trying to get everybody thinking like they think about things that the Bible hasn't made clear statements on. Christ has set you free. Christ has placed you in freedom. Christ has placed you in liberty. Give other people freedom too. I talked last week about, of course, if the Bible makes a clear statement on it, we just live it out. It's that clear. If the Bible's made a clear statement, we live it out. But... Most of the disagreements in the body of Christ that I have had to deal with as a pastor have been on this page, and as I said last week, what part of the page was the argument based on? The white stuff, reading between the lines, that's what we argue about. The statement is clear, (laughs) clear statement from God, we just all line up behind it. Law of... Liberty, and the white stuff, friends, we give each other liberty. Liberty. Principle number five. Do not use your freedom to fulfill the desire of your flesh. That's a misuse of your freedom. Do not use your freedom to fulfill the desire of the flesh. Galatians 5 and verse number 13. So this is 13 verses down from the verse we're memorizing this month. You're called to freedom, brothers. What are you called to? Pardon me? We're called to freedom. If that was the New Living Translation, it would probably say, you were called to freedom, brothers and sisters. You have been called to freedom. Everybody say freedom. That's what you're called to, but only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love to. So you've got freedom, law of liberty, freedom, but there's law connected to the freedom. Oh, ain't that confusing? Freedom, I have freedom, and yes, you do. But you never use that, there's a law here, there, you never use freedom for an occasion of the flesh. The tension of the law of liberty. You say, oh, I don't believe that, we just need to discover freedom. Well, here's, I'm gonna give you some freedom tonight. After service, you just drive out of whichever end of this parking lot you want to drive out of. Just do it however you feel like doing it. And I'm just gonna stand there and enjoy. Why do we make you go like this? Because it just keeps things running smoothly. I was sitting at Living Waters Camp, family camp. I think it was Tuesday night, might've been Wednesday. Could have been Monday, who knows. It's early in the week. And I heard what I thought was uh, fireworks. I said, well, this is early to have fireworks, and I've never been at camp when they had fireworks in the middle of the week, but big, thunderous noise. And about 15 minutes later, there's a helicopter flying over the camp. Been a terrible accident just outside the entrance of camp on Highway uh, 11. And uh, a young 16 year old inexperienced driver was driving on the wrong side of the road. And that's a 110 kilometer zone, and a driver came around the bend, and there she was. And it wasn't Fireworks, I was hearing, it was two vehicle, vehicles colliding. Three people lost their lives. Freedom, yes. But the only way freedom works is, this, is if there's some laws that associate with it. Abraham Lincoln, uh, reading his biography simply called Abe right now, great book, in it, uh, I've been reading a lot about Abraham Lincoln's belief that the real perils facing the United States in his time were the opposing forces of despotism and anarchy. And some people just wanted to set up a bunch of rules and have firm leadership telling everybody what they were doing, and others didn't want any rule at all. Just wanted to be free to do whatever they wanted. They are anarchists. And what happens when you take the law of liberty and you, tap, you drop the law end? People get hurt when you drop the law end, or the licentious end. No, you have to live in the tension. How many principles I give you? Last principle, principle number six do everything for the glory of God. Whether you eat or drink, whatever decision you make in some of these gray areas, do all to the glory of God. We put our messages up on on YouTube every, what does it go up, Monday, Tuesday, somewhere in there. Something shocking happened this week. Somebody actually commented on the sermon. First time ever that I'm aware of on YouTube. A comment on YouTube on our sermon. I want to read it to you from a guy who identifies himself as Guardian Meister. I suspect that's his uh, YouTube name. Pastor John, that was a very good message. I would like to posit a thought on these issues that for me really helps me resolve where I should be. I ask myself the following question, is Christ magnified in me? If the posture of the heart is a desire for Christ to be magnified, the glorious mediation of Christ takes over and we kind of just know what to do, how to be, how to think, what to say or not to say. Friends, life gets simple for us if we just determine to glorify Jesus in everything we do? If we just determined to glorify Jesus in everything we do? Don't use the principles of liberty to fulfill your personal desires. Don't use your personal liberty to win arguments. You don't have to attend every argument you're invited to. Give people freedom to disagree with you. Keep your convictions to yourself. And in all things glorify Christ. I think there's two important phrases here. Danielle, just come and begin to play a bit in the background. Two important phrases in the New Testament that helps us live this out. The first one is law of liberty. Understand, friends, that in Christ we live in the law of liberty. And you're going to have to figure those tensions out because that is a statement full of tension, law of liberty. It's full of tension. But you have to determine how you're going to live that out. And the second important New Testament phrase is walking in the Spirit. Walking in the Spirit Why do you think the Bible mentions that so much in the New Testament? Because God's wise enough to know that In 20 centuries of history Not every situation that came up was going to be able to be answered with a simple yes or No, he knew it just wasn't that easy So he says, Christians, learn to walk in the Spirit, learn to get alone with God, don't make your decisions on rules that have been passed down through the traditions of man. Learn to get alone and hear from God and honor him and please him as you do that. We're going to close with a closing song in a minute or six, probably three or four. But I want you to look at these six principles now. And I want you to just take a moment to pray personally, quietly, thoughtfully about each of them. And just ask the Lord to help you to live out those principles, because they're life changers, and they are principles that God has called us to live with and live under. So just pray. Just pray.